It's good to be here this morning. So I, I had to keep whittling this down to make it fit, so I'll have you out of here in an hour and a half or so. So, no, it shouldn't be that bad. If you know in advance that you're going to be faced with a difficult situation, it can help you to be better prepared for that difficulty when it arises. American preachers love to talk about the benefits of receiving Jesus. And it is true. Jesus promises an abundant life to all who believe in him. But what many, especially new believers, do not know is that there will also be many trials and tribulations. Jesus makes this very clear in Mark 10, 28 through 30. But we doubt this here in America. It is because we do not understand persecution. But just because we rarely see it or are completely unaware of it doesn't mean it isn't happening. Go outside of this country. Believers all over the world are being persecuted for the cause of Christ. A statistic I found said that a reported 90,000 Christians were killed in 2016. That's one Christian every six minutes. I want you to think about that while you sit here free. Another source said that over a million Christians have been killed over the last decade. In hearing that, tell me that the world doesn't hate us. Friends, we may live in safety now where the greatest persecution we face is maybe mockery. But it won't always be this way. Our safety bubble will burst. Prophecy says so. The world will seek to have your head. In John chapter 16 and verse 2, Jesus says, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The reality is that persecution comes from false worship. Jesus Christ himself was crucified because he claimed to be God. I want to read Matthew 26, 63 through 66. It's not our scripture for the day. But the scripture says, But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. How easy do we have it? It is easy in America to be bold in Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel. And we still don't do it. I have an interesting example about something that is just so simple that we choose to not do. We take for granted that we have the opportunity to openly carry our Bibles. We don't even bring them to church. 
We used apps on our cell phones. <laughs> Apology accepted. We got Bibles in the back. Take one with you. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those apps. But bring a copy of the Word of God with you to church. We should be seen as God's children. Amen, Scott. We should be seen as God's children carrying his Bible with us. It is a privilege to carry our Bible. A believer who had lived under persecution in Russia told Nick Ripkin, the author of the book, The Insanity of God, don't ever give up in freedom what we would never have given up in persecution. That is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How humbling that is for an American believer to hear. If you haven't read that book, we can get you a copy of that too. <laughs> a few chapters earlier, the author says, the stronger the persecution, the more significant the spiritual vitality of the believers. Friends, believers all over the world die because they don't have the freedoms that we enjoy. Yeah, that was my intro. You're in for it this morning. If you have your Bibles here today, please turn with me to the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at chapter 15. It took us forever to get through chapter 14. We're going to do this one in three weeks. Bam, done. I'll be reading verses 18 through 27. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how awesome is your great name. How marvelous are your mighty works. The heavens declare your glory. Father, I pray today that you would open our hearts to your word. Help us to better understand our position before you. Father, I pray that we would not only have the knowledge of it being all about you, but that our hearts would believe it, Lord, and that our actions would prove it. Lord, may we come before you today humble and contrite in spirit, and may we tremble at your word. Father, please help me to be faithful to your word. We love you and we thank you for everything you are. 
We ask all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. I was going to say at Calvary, but I think I like to talk about context of Scripture more than anyone else. I talk about the context of Scripture because it's important. Sometimes as Christians, we like to pick and choose the verses that make us feel good. But if we don't look at the Scriptures in context, we miss so much of the meat that God has for us. As we have been in our study of the book of John, we have seen Jesus' passion since before the foundation of the world. Everything Jesus has done, is doing, and will do is for our benefit and to the glory of God the Father. In context of where we are this morning, we are still in the final teachings of Jesus before he goes to the cross. This teaching began in chapter 13 and goes through chapter 17. What has taken us months to get through is accomplishing a couple of short hours of an evening. I mean, I preached November 8th, um, John 13, 1 through 11. And here we are in April. In chapter 13, it begins in the upper room with Jesus washing the disciples' feet where the disciples have been humbled and they have been corrected. We have seen how Judas Iscariot has set out to betray Jesus. At this very moment, in John chapter 15, as Jesus is teaching them that he is the true vine, remember that? Teaching us to abide in him. And then what Scott preached last week, he's teaching them to love one another. And they're en route to the Garden of Gethsemane. What's Judas doing? Right now, he's betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> that bothers me every time I read it. Judas betrayed the son of the almighty God, the savior of the world, for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And then I can't help but think, how many times have we betrayed Jesus for far less? See, Jesus knew that after he left the disciples that they would face some difficult opposition in the world. Maybe because he had just told them that they would do even greater works than he did. That's John 14, 12. Maybe they were expecting receptive crowds and smooth sailing ahead. I mean, they'd been with Jesus since the beginning. So if you're seeing everything Jesus has done, I mean, think about those stories. Now, if you want to be here an extra hour, I can go through them for you. But Jesus has done so much. So they're thinking, wow, we're going to do greater works. This is going to be awesome. But the reality was they would face some, excuse me, they would face some severe persecution, not just from the pagan world, but also from the religious crowd. The Lord wanted them to know what to expect from the world 
and how to respond to the hostility that they would experience. Jesus' message here is, while the world hates believers, we are to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Even though the verses this morning present a sober or even grim picture, look at what has just been said before. Because we experienced Christ's love and joy that we saw in John 15, 1 through 11, and because we are members of the loving family of God, John 15, 12 through 17, we can endure the hostility of the world that we see in our passage today. Our text is best broken down into two sections. We first have the world's hatred of Christians. That'll be 18 to 25. And then we're going to look at our responsibility to bear witness of Jesus Christ. That'll be 26 and 27. The world hates us because it hates Jesus. I want us to look at five things about the world's hatred. The first is this. Hatred or love for Jesus Christ is what either divides or unites people. Let's look at the contrast between Scott's last verse on Sunday, verse 17, and my first verse. In verse 17, we see Christians are to be known for their love, and then in verse 18, the world is known for its hatred. Jesus mentions the world six times in verses 18 and 19. The world refers to the organized system under Satan's domain that is opposed to God and his rightful king, Jesus Christ. If he wants to come to the altar, let him come. Amen. First John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus says in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now the word if bothered me. When I started working on this sermon, I was like, no, that's not what Jesus means. So I was looking at all these different translations because I knew somewhere it was going to say since. I knew that. I even talked to the pastor about it. Couldn't find it. And I was like, well, if is the correct translation. But then I learned something. The if here in verse 18 is not uncertain. It's a Greek construction, and it means if the world hates you, and it will, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The Lord wants us to know that behind the world's hatred for us is its hatred for him. We then see in verse 23, Jesus says, whoever hates me hates my Father also. You can't separate Jesus from the Father. You can't love one and hate the other. Now you may be thinking this morning that most non-believers would say that they have nothing against us as Christians or against Jesus. Well, in Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is no gray area here. 
I know as Americans, we just want to go with the flow. But Jesus draws a distinct line here in black and white that shows that we must take sides. This is a war. There is no middle ground. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. The world is diametrically opposed to Jesus. You either love Jesus and the Father, or you hate them. In D.A. Carson's book, Jesus' Farewell Discourse and Final Prayer, he points out that we see the world's hatred in those who claim to be liberal and tolerant of differing viewpoints, but who are not so tolerant when it comes to Christian absolutes. He states, they demonstrate their forbearance and large-hearted goodness when they confront diverse opinions, varied lifestyles, and even idiotic practices. But if some Christian claims that Christianity is exclusive, as Jesus insisted, or that moral absolutes exist because they are grounded in the character of God, as the Bible teaches, or that there is a hell to be shunned as well as a heaven to be gained, the most intemperate language is used to excoriate the poor fool. The world hates. For those of you that don't know, because I did when I read it, the word excoriate means to censure scathingly or to criticize severely. So to rephrase the quote, the most intemperate language is used to severely criticize the poor fool. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very tolerant to me. The second thing I want to look at this morning is the world hates because Jesus exposes their sin. In verse 22 of our text, Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He adds in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and both hated me and my Father. What does Jesus mean here? Well, he doesn't mean that those who have never heard of him or seen his miracles are sinless. The Bible is very clear that all people are sinners before God. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 1.18-20, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what Jesus is saying here is that by his coming and his many miracles, he actually increased the people's responsibility and guilt when they did not submit to him as their Lord and Savior. In Matthew chapter 11, 20 through 24, Jesus denounces the cities 
where he had done most of his miracles because they did not repent. He makes it clear that it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for them. He goes on to say that if Sodom had seen the mighty works, it would remain to this day. Increased light, my friends, means increased sin and guilt. When our sin as believers is exposed, it is because of the Holy Spirit's conviction. When the world's sin is exposed, it reacts defensively. In John 7, 7, Jesus is talking to non-believers when he says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. In John chapter 3, it says that people love darkness rather than light. Everyone who does evil hates the light because their works will be exposed. People don't want to call out on their sin. Here's a couple applications for us to think about. And no, that doesn't mean we're done. First, if you live in obedience to Jesus Christ, you are a threat. To the world and its ways. The world will either try to get you to partake in their sin, or if they don't succeed in that, they will openly attack you for your faith. The second is this, and I want you to hear this this morning. This is, this is important. If you go to church to just check something off your spiritual worksheet, you're in trouble. Okay? If you go to church every week, and you hear the preaching of the Word of God. And if you're coming to Calvary, that's what you're hearing. If you go to church every week and hear the preaching of the Word of God, but you refuse to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you are exposing yourself to greater judgment. You have more than adequate evidence to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But if you reject that evidence and you don't repent of your sins, your judgment will be greater. The third thing I want us to note about the hatred of the world is this. If the world doesn't hate you, but rather it thinks you're wonderful, you may need to question if you are a bold enough witness for Jesus Christ. Now, I want to begin this section by saying that we are not to be the source of offense by being rude, obnoxious, or insensitive. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, non-believers won't care that you are different until you tell them that Jesus is the only way to God. They will be friendly until you tell them that God has absolute moral standards and that our culture's standards are wrong. Once we make clear that we are opposed to them because we stand with Jesus, the world will hate us. But since it's been all doom and gloom, I would urge you to take refuge in this. 
Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12 says this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My fourth point is this. The world's hatred for Christ does not thwart God's sovereignty, but it fulfills it. In verse 25, Jesus says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus is citing Psalm 69.4 to show that non-believers rage against God, but they have no basis for their hatred and inadvertently fulfill God's plan. God is sovereign, and his plan cannot be sabotaged. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Amen? <laughs> that, that, that excites me. I, I can't help myself. I am so thankful that we serve a sovereign God. God is in complete control and he will ultimately judge all non-believers who wrong you. And he will vindicate his people who have been persecuted for his name's sake. The last thing I want us to look at on the hatred of the world is the world hates believers because we are different than they are. We are different from the world in many ways, but there are three in our text. So, subpoint time. So, the first is we have a different calling. Verse 19 of our text says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You notice here that Jesus brings up divine election again. People don't like that. People like to believe that they have the ability to choose God. I said this a couple weeks ago, but it's still true. Apart from Christ, we are hardwired to choose Sin and eternal damnation every time without exception. That's what we choose without God. Jesus says in John 6, 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. When Jesus taught this in the last half of John chapter 6, in John 6, 66, we see that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They didn't want to hear it either. The world, even those of the world who are religious, say that if God only chooses some, then he is not fair. In John 6, Jesus taught sovereign election to Jews who were grumbling against him. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather that God was fair with us? 
No. I don't. If God was fair with us, and if he gave us our just reward, we'd all be in hell. There are more comfort this morning. We should be thankful that he overflows mercy and forgiveness to sinners such as us. We should indulge ourselves in our relationship with the creator of the universe who knew us intimately before the foundation of the world. Praise be to the Most High God. The second way we're different is we have a different master. In verse 20, Jesus states that a servant is not greater than his master. He had said this previously after he had washed the disciples' feet in chapter 13. Jesus was teaching them about humility and how they should treat one another. Jesus also talks about this in Matthew 10, 24, where he says a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says that we are bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We answer to God. He is our master. We literally owe him our very lives. On the other hand, you have Satan. He is the ruler of this world. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, the world or the natural man cannot understand the things of God, for they are folly to him. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. The world says that people are basically good, whereas the Bible says that we're all sinners and in rebellion against God. People of the world live for themselves and their own agendas, Whereas the Lord's people live for him and his purposes. The world makes up its own relative moral standards. Whereas God's people obey his moral absolutes. Friends, misunderstanding and hostility from the world are not a possibility. They are an inevitability. The third is this. We have a different knowledge. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The fundamental problem the people of the world have is that they do not know the living and true God. The world sets up their own gods. <laughs> they always have. I mean, all the way back. Even atheists worship their own intellect as supreme, refusing to acknowledge that everything they have comes from God. And they will give an account of that when they stand before him. Knowing God is the essence of eternal life that Christ gives to all who believe in him. I love this verse, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In spite of the world's hatred towards us, we should never return hatred or retaliation to them. Luke 6, 35 and 36, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So since we are children of the Most High, we are to, in spite of the world's hatred, we should testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus left us in this world to testify to his glory. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But how can we bear witness of Jesus Christ in the face of a hostile world? Jesus shows us in the next couple of verses that we can bear witness only through the spirit of truth. So now we're into some better stuff. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. So in verse 26, we're going to see that the spirit of truth testifies about Jesus. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The fact that the helper, the spirit of truth, proceeds from the Father and is sent by Jesus, whom himself was sent by Jesus, implies the deity and distinctiveness of all three persons of the Trinity. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus is saying that the Spirit of truth will continue to witness to continue to bear witness to Christ after he returned to heaven. The Holy Spirit does that through the word of God, which he inspired, but also through believers. Acts 5.32, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those that obey him. Then in verse 27, we see that Christ's disciples that's us, are to testify about Jesus. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now this verse is obviously referring to the apostles' witness because they had been with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry to his ascension into heaven. In Acts 4.20 they say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. They even declared to not be mere storytellers in 2 Peter 2.16. Here they say, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses 
of his majesty. We have their factual testimony in the New Testament. So our witness is not just true for those who choose to believe it. It is always true, whether you believe it or not. The Holy Spirit uses us as believers to testify to the world about Jesus Christ. We can't just relax and trust the Spirit to do his thing apart from us. In God's sovereignty, he chooses to use us to bear witness of his Son. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes to us from the Father. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus, that he is God. But not only does the Holy Spirit bear witness, so do we. We bear witness of Jesus. A witness testifies. We don't think of witness and testimony much today outside of a courtroom. No defendant in court loves the witness who is testifying to the truth. We are not witnesses to the sin of the defendant, but rather to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is what we bear witness to. That is what we testify to. We don't testify against the world. We testify for Jesus. We bear testimony to the chains that he has freed us from. The Bible says in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is what the world needs. It needs the freedom from the bondage of sin that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. Don't shut yourself off to the world just so that you can avoid persecution. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Share your testimony with everyone. Testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus says in verse 20, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. See, not everyone will reject Jesus. So I don't want us to live in fear of that. Jesus promises that some will believe through our witness. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Lord said to Paul in Acts 18.10, For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Jesus says in Matthew 9.37 and 38, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Christian, stay bold if you are. Pray for courage to be bold if you aren't. And let's spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you free in Jesus this morning?
Are you resting in his strength and his refuge? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in the paths of righteousness? Are we prepared to be faithful to Jesus at any cost? If you're sitting there today and you're like, uh, this is, it's okay to be mediocre in my Christian walk now because when the hard times come, I'll be faithful. I have news for you. You will not be faithful. If we're not faithful now, when it's easy, you won't be faithful then. In fact, I, I think we should take advantage of this time to grow in our faith and appreciate the freedoms that the Lord has given us and learn to follow him. There's no time like now to get that headed in the right direction. Maybe you're saved, but you're living in sin. Maybe you're a slave to some addiction in your life. Surrender it to Jesus. Lay your burden at the cross. And you will find rest for your soul. Jesus says to come to him, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and he will give you rest. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. That's another book, Gentle and Lowly. We can get you that book too. If you don't know Jesus this morning, come. No one is going to embarrass you. You can pray with me, Scott, Matt, Zane. Find someone that you know loves Jesus and we'd be more than happy to help you. Heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance. Jesus is good, my friends. He is so good. I'd urge you to give your heart to Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your steadfast love. Lord, please help us to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Help us to be a witness and a testimony of your love to a lost and dying world. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Father, I ask that if anyone here this morning doesn't know you, please draw them to yourself. They cannot come to you of their own accord. Please draw them into life everlasting through your irresistible grace. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And I ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, brother. You know, one of the...